Aloha, Husky fans. This is Max Cerullo, and you are listening to another episode of Yes, UConn, the podcast where we dive deep into the greatest UConn basketball games ever played. And uh, joining me today is uh, my good buddy, Colin McDonough. You've uh, heard his brother on the show a couple of times. Uh, Colin is a, a fellow Daily Campus alum, and uh, uh, you know he and I uh, go way back. Colin, thank you so much for coming on the show, and thank you so much for your patience. Uh, I know getting this whole recording set up has been a, a, a bit of a project. <laughs> so uh, how's it going? Hey, Mac, thank you for having me on. Uh, yeah, we've... Um know been patient with one another i think but yeah it's it's an honor to be on this show joining the long list of great journalists who have been on this show um i'm definitely in the bottom tier of that group of journalists or former journalists but it's awesome to uh, talk uconn basketball together it sure is so colin yeah so you know (laughs) i love the self-deprecating thing there but dude i've always had it you've had a good you've had a good run though i mean you know when we were in college i mean some of the games you got to cover i mean we're talking some of the top of the list of like some of the coolest games ever so yeah just real quick do you want to just give the the listeners a a quick uh, overview of your resume and uh you know sort of some of the games and seasons that you were able to cover in college yeah definitely yeah so um I think, you know, the four years at UConn together were awesome. Obviously, Stores is a special place for all students and, um, you know, made so many great friends. Um, but I think especially at the daily campus, it's it, it's awesome. Um, the, our staff was great together. Um, I was able to go from a campus correspondent to staff writer to senior staff writer to associate sports editor. Um, you know, along with you and Matt, we're just a great team. Um, and most importantly, the teams made it such a special time. So I got to cover the 2010 UConn football team when they won the Big East and made the Fiesta Bowl. Um, Maya Moore's final season and a final four for the UConn women. Then as a senior, um, I covered more football in the men's basketball season. But, yeah, you know, today's podcast, we're going to talk about the 2011 National Champions. And I was lucky to cover a couple of the Big East games for uh, the UConn men in, during this season. Yeah, so, so I... We're, it was, yeah, it's great. Yeah, so I, I probably should actually mention, uh, since I don't think I did at the top, uh, we're going back to the 2010 Maui Invitational today, uh, hence the, uh, the aloha at the top. <laughs> um, yeah, and this is like... I, I personally love, I mean, this tournament was amazing. Uh, and it's so fun to go back and think to you know, what it was like at this point in time. Um, you know, the 2010 Maui Invitational was basically right at the start of that national championship season. And we didn't know what we had. You know, at the time, UConn was still considered to be in a rebuilding phase. You know, there was some you know, issues with, uh, you know, some recruiting violations and potential punishment coming down the line. We weren't really sure what was going to happen. And then over the course of Thanksgiving break, they go and win three games in three days. Kemba goes and scores 90 points over the course of the week, and they upset two top 10 teams in the country. And as the week goes on, you're like, you know, it all flips. You know, you go from being like, wow, I hope like the season is like, you know, kind of fun to all of a sudden you're like, oh my God, like, is, is UConn actually good? Like, it was it was really something. So, um, you know, just Colin, just to kind of uh, take us back, what do you remember about this tournament and, uh, you know, your experience watching it? Yeah, um, I, it's during Thanksgiving break. So Maui was kind of always one of the 
you know, big-time preseason tournaments out of all the ones they have in college basketball. Uh, I just remember being at home in Hamden, um, watching this with, you know, Matt, my mom, and dad, um, even my late grandparents and uh, high school friends who were home from college as well were all kind of excited by this run. Um, for, like you said, this team, these three days really set the tone for the whole season. They went from unranked to number seven in the AP poll after winning the Maui title. Um, and to be honest, like you said, with this team, they were coming off an NIT season two years removed from the Final Four, but they had, um, you know, self-imposed sanctions for recruiting violations, having an NCAA investigation. This was really a pivotal moment in UConn basketball where we were kind of teetering on the edge of falling into mediocrity. Um, and these three days set themselves up for quality wins and uh, elimination kind of tournament play that also uh, foreshadowed what would they would do later in the Big East Championship and an NCAA tournament. Yeah, I, I think the importance of these games can't be overstated. Like, you, UConn, you know, they showed what they were made of this week. And, you know, this was such a young team. We really didn't know, like, you know, what they'd be capable of. And honestly, I don't know if they really did either. So to be able to go to Maui and, you know, play you know really tough games against really good teams and make those winning plays down the stretch. I mean, you know, the first two games were really close, too. So basically, just a quick overview for those who may not remember. UConn goes in the they beat Wichita State in the first round. And, um, you know, this was kind of Wichita State at the time was still in the Missouri Valley Conference and was still an ascendant, uh, you know, uh, mid-major power. You know, this they hadn't quite had that undefeated, you know, season or, you know, the final four or anything like that yet. But, you know, you could tell that they were like on the rise. So that was a really good win. And then the next win, they they go and they take on number two ranked Michigan State, led by future, you know, NBA champion Draymond Green, which was you know, that's that's a huge win and that's uh, definitely a, a game that's aged very well too, because, you know, obviously the Kemba versus Draymond kind of matchup is uh you know, a really high-level college matchup of future pro stars. And then, yeah, the last game, you know, in the final, you face Kentucky, and that turns out to be a preview of the Final Four. And uh, UConn smoked them. Like, that game wasn't even close. That was, like, you know, kind of just, like, UConn basically just being like, no, we're not a fluke, we're here, and uh, you guys all got to watch out. Um, just a, it's a really fun week. Um, so, yeah, just a, you know, we kind of touched on it a little bit uh, just now, but... You know, what do you remember about um, watching this tournament specifically, like kind of the moment where you maybe thought like, you know, oh, wow, this is kind of cool to being like, oh, my God, they're like, this is happening. Yeah, I mean, I, I think the mindset almost for this tournament, um, the Wichita State game, like you said, this was before their 2013 Final Four, before their 2014 undefeated season. But Wichita State was still a good Missouri Valley team. So you wanted to kind of get that non-conference win over a possible, you know, NCAA tournament team. And then you got to play number two, Michigan State. And like you said, Draymond Green was on that team. But this was when, if you were a senior with Tom Izzo, you were guaranteed to get to at least one Final Four. Um, I think they had made it the year before in 2010, losing to Butler. 
in Indianapolis, but um, that that was just a great opportunity to kind of see how good these young guys with Kemba could be. And, you know, when they hung on at the end to beat Michigan State, now it goes from you got a huge quality win on your resume to let's finish the uh, tournament off with a trophy. And it's always good to beat, uh, and I know we'll get more in depth in this later, but always good to beat Kentucky and Calipari and those recruits. Oh, absolutely. So, yeah, just to set the stage, so UConn goes into the tournament. They're 2-0 and on the year. Uh, they have a you know a solid win over Stony Brook to open the year, and then they go and just absolutely de- demolish Vermont. Uh, Kemba, I remember you know your brother and I covered this game. It was uh, he goes for forty two against the Catamounts, and like that was like pretty, pretty that was pretty incredible because you know Kemba we we knew Kemba was going to be good, and we knew it was going to kind of be his team. But I mean, forty two points, I, I believe, is still um, you know. It was tied with Danielle Marshall for like the the most points ever scored in the Calhoun era by in a single game, which so like that was like a crazy outburst. But because it happened against Vermont, you're also kind of like, okay, I mean, that was pretty awesome. And, you know, like, you know, Kemba, chill, dude, like, you know, these poor kids can't stop you. But at the same time, you're like, yeah, but it's only Vermont. Like, you know, we we, we needed to see him do it against better teams. And. Yeah, this he he in this tournament, this was like really a coming out party. So yeah, do you want to just dive right in and uh, go talk about the Wichita State game? Yeah, definitely. All right, so yeah, so basically uh, Kemba goes. Uh, so going into this game, um, uh, it's a it's a pretty close game uh, throughout m- most of the way. But uh, Kemba hardly does anything early. He gets in foul trouble. I and he only has two points at halftime, and then in the second half. Oh my goodness. <laughs> Kemba goes crazy. He he scores 29 points in the second half and is pretty much automatic. You know, he's making he makes 14 of 15 free throws. Uh, you know, you know, scoring in every way you can imagine and uh, you know, ultimately leads him to uh the four-point win. They uh Yukon wins uh, 83 to 79. And um this was a crazy game. Uh, you got to give Wichita State credit. I mean, I think, you know, this was of the three games, weirdly enough, this is like actually probably the game that UConn deserved to lose. Uh, but, you know, when you rewatching this, what what did what stuck out to you about this one? Yeah, I, I definitely agree. Like you said, it, it's kind of like St. Joe's in 2014, where if you look at the um, rankings and schedule of that, that national championship run for the Huskies, you'd think that'd be the easiest game, but they kind of really did uh, deserve, maybe not deserve to lose, but they stole it at the end. And if you look at this Michigan State and Kentucky, like you said, this would be the one um, that they kind of deserve to lose the most. Um, Off the top, uh, Carter Blackburn and Jimmy Dykes, they do mention three of the top 11 teams were in the tournament. And we talked about Michigan State and Kentucky, and Washington was also ranked. Um, and, you know, they talked about how UConn was picked 10th in the Big East and coming off the second non-20 win season in 20 years. So it wasn't like they kind of had a lot of expectations um, for, that, for UConn in this game. And it was kind of both teams were feeling each other out in the first few minutes. Um, then Kemba gets two fouls. The first one was a bump, um, and then the second one he reached on uh, Teray Murray, uh, the Wichita State guard, as he went up for a shot, 
And he sat basically the rest of the half, kind of a la Okafor in 04, Final Four against Duke. Um, but everyone else stepped up. Defensively, Shabazz played great on ball defense. Roscoe and Lamb used their length. Um, and this was also a big kind of coming out party for Alex Oriaki. And we'll get way more in depth in the next two games about him. Um, but when you look at that first half, Lamb and Coombs, McDaniel drives to the basket. They got steals. They contested shots. And miraculously, as when Kemba came back in for the last couple offensive possessions in the first half, UConn actually ended up taking the lead at halftime. So Kemba did a little drop-off pass to Roscoe, and he banked in a three to end the half. It was ex- Huskies, just a yeah, crazy... Yeah, 33-32. It was a crazy three, too, like... Like Roscoe, he, I swear that guy was like such an agent of chaos. I mean, he's involved with so many goofy plays and like, you know, some of them are awesome. Some of them are awesomely bad. This one was awesome. I mean, he gets the ball. He does like this crazy, like Kobe fadeaway three and just banks it in. Like, I don't think that's a shot he makes very frequently, but yeah, it was, it was, it was good. I mean, you know, it gives UConn the, the one point lead at halftime. And then, yeah. And then the, the second half, like, you know, Kemba's obviously kind of takes over, but it is pretty striking. Like he, he didn't do it all himself. And that's kind of the most important thing with this game. You know, you have, uh, you know, three other guys are in, um, double figures as well. You know, Oriaki, who was tremendous in this tournament, he has 12 points, uh, Shabazz and Roscoe, they both have 10 each. And the thing that stuck out to me is UConn's just getting to the line at will. They shoot 44 free throws in this game. 44. That's insane. Like what was yeah it was crazy to kind of see that all play out. Uh, Wichita State they had thirteen free throws so like yeah Greg Marshall couldn't have been happy about that foul disparity. Yeah, that's that's to be to me the biggest stat in the whole game. So UConn was thirty two of forty four. Uh, the Shockers were nine of thirteen. Especially in the second half, there were some calls that Marshall and the Wichita State fans were booing at, extremely unhappy. Um, one call with four minutes left, Kemba got to the line, and even uh, Jimmy Dyke said that was all ball. Um, one of the key calls were, was uh, Kemba came back in with three fouls with like 13.50 left in the second half, um, and Kemba drove and got an and one that could have been called a charge. Um, Durley, the shocker defender, was outside the restricted area. And I know I go off on too many tangents, and there'll be many today. But just a quick one, uh, uh, I'm not a huge block charge guy. I think refs make the wrong call a lot. Usually guys slide in after they leave their feet or are still moving. Um, in this case, I don't think it was a charge because Kembet already left his feet and um, – the Wichita State defender, Durley, was still moving. But just the way the call is called, that it, I think it, sh- you know, it should have been kind of a charge with the way refs usually call it. And that would have been Kemba's fourth with more than half the second half left. Um, and then, so even with all these foul calls on Wichita State, they were still up nine. Uh, Murray drove and scored with under ten left. And then... The Huskies kind of chip away using some free throws um, and then some steals. And eventually, uh, 
Kemba draws a foul, makes both to take the lead. Graham Hatch makes an and one for the Shockers with two minutes left, and those were their last points. Yeah, yeah, it's 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 crazy. They, you know, UConn shut them out the last two minutes in the, I think, two minutes and one second, and uh, yeah, and then at the when they really needed it, Kemba came through for him. He had the the pull up jumper with forty one seconds left uh, that put UConn ahead by three, and I mean that was kind of it. You know, that was um, you know, Wichita never really uh, made a push after that, and. You know, that was really encouraging because, you know, a team like this, as young as they were, you know, this is the kind of game that we see a lot of young teams lose. So, you know, that was a, you know, Kemba obviously kind of stepped up big time there. Uh, But the other thing that I think we saw in this game and very much so in the games to follow was how good this team was on defense, you know, because, you know, being able to chip away, you know, obviously they had to come up with the buckets but they also had to get the stops and then to shut them out the last two minutes when it was kind of a, you know, winning time, that was big. And um, we saw it in this game, especially just like the length and athleticism that this UConn team had between Jeremy Lamb, who's just like a freak of nature. The dude's like wingspan is crazy. You know, so when he gets into a guarding stance, like you're not going around him, you know, Oriaki was a, you know, a really good, you know, a really good defender in the paint you know, when he needed to be. And, um, you know, like guys like Roscoe and Niels, you know, those guys could defend too. And Shabazz, obviously a tremendous on-ball defender. And I mean, we, we Kemba had a bit of a reputation of not being the greatest defender, but he still competed. He certainly did his job. Like, you know, it's not like he was a liability on defense for sure. Uh, so yeah, just a, a really impressive win for sure. Um, yeah, and you know, in, in Wichita State, they played well too. I mean, you know, Tory Murray finishes with 19 points, and David Kyles, you know, he had a, a great second half too. He was kind of going, you know, toe to toe with Kemba. He had 16 of his 18 points in the st- second half too. So, you know, uh, it, they, the Shockers definitely made UConn work for this one. Yeah, I agree. Like you said, Kyles was great in the second half, and this theme of defense. You know, April 4th, uh, the next year, 2011, um, that season kind of showed where if you can test shots with their length, like you said, Lamb, Roscoe Smith, um, that affected Butler to only score 41 points in that national championship. And it also helped UConn shut down Wichita State the last two minutes to steal the game. Um, Kyles and Murray missed badly on threes the last couple chances they had. And, you know, most importantly, like you said, with Kemba's foul trouble, this should have been over for the Maui Invitational for UConn. It was a game where they probably had the worst uh, chance of winning before, like, the ESPN uh, win probability. But the theme of this tournament that we'll especially get to in this next game and Kentucky is Kemba comes alive with 29 in the second half, and you know his teammates can see that he's becoming almost uh, godlike, but he's becoming the star, the man of the team. But he can't do it by himself, and all these young Huskies contribute with winning plays, either clutch shots, steals, deflections, um, defensive prowess, and they become. A perfect supporting cast to him to win this championship and set it up for the next ones. So in the uh, AP story after the game, uh, UConn is literally being described as being in a rebuilding mode. And uh, Jim Calhoun was quoted as having recently joked that he's still learning all of his players' names. So, you know, this Wichita State <laughs> game went a long way into kind of 
introducing the country and apparently his coach, their coaches, uh, you know, to this team. And uh, the the Michigan State game, that's really the one where they kind of got everyone's attention. So, you know, UConn, so Michigan State is uh, ranked number two in the country, as we mentioned. They feature Draymond Green and, uh, you know, a pretty strong overall supporting cast. Um, and this was a, just like the kind of like the, the Wichita State game. I mean, UConn wasn't really playing from behind as much in this one, but it was just a it was a rock fight. And, um, you know, Kemba was tremendous. You know, he has 30 points in this one also. And, you know, Alex Horiaki, man, he goes to toe to toe with Draymond Green and he comes out with 15 points and 17 rebounds. I mean, that that's that's something, you know, um, just, you know, before we dive in too deep, what were your thoughts on uh, this game overall? Yeah, like I think the main thing, like you said, Oriaki scoring 15 and 17 against a team like the Spartans with future three-time, you know, world champion with Golden State, Draymond Green, who actually came off the bench. But that Michigan State team, Adrian Payne was a freshman. They had, you know, great guards. Kalen Lucas, Darrell Summers um, were good players. And in this game, um, we kind of maybe had a little bit of an inkling that they had a chance when uh, Michigan State beat host Chaminade the day before, the Silver Swords, um, the best mascot. Uh, it's a like plant in Hawaii that I, I think is endangered. But Chaminade didn't upset Michigan State like they did Virginia in 1982, but they out-rebounded them. And Oriaki, um, you know, Okwandu was a good contributor too, but Oriaki needed to be that big man presence to step up for the Huskies this season. And this is a game where he really does that. So there were plays in the first half. Um, one possession, Oriaki takes a jumper with Draymond Green on him. Green cleared out. He just started running back on offense. And Oriaki goes to get his own rebound, takes his takes one dribble, and jams it. UConn withstood an 8-0 run in the first half, an 8-0 run in the second half. They got big shots from Roscoe Smith making a, a three again. Uh, Niels Giffey had a good game. He really came out the next one against uh, Kentucky. But even in the second half, there was a back and forth where um, Lucas and Kemba kept making threes, answering one another. Um, and then in the second half, 6-11 left, Roscoe gave UConn a lead with a free throw. Uh, Niels Giffey got a rebound um, that he pushed off on. Uh, the announcer said it should have been called. It wasn't. And then um, Kemba deflects uh, a loose ball to Shabazz to make it a five-point game with 5.21 left. And that was an 11-0 Husky run. But then it became a slow trudge to victory. So Draymond Green did have a good game. He had 22-12, and 12, but he did missed some free throws down the stretch. And although Michigan State went on their own 6-0 run um, to give or to get a 67-66 lead, just like Wichita State, with 235 left, Michigan State was done uh, scoring. So um, Appling misses some shots. Lucas missed a front end of a one-on-one, one-on-one. Um, and Kemba... Again, just like Wichita State, he got a pass at the top of the key, dribbled to his left, and made a fading jumper. 
um, to give UConn the lead they would never relinquish. Um, one funny thing that rewatching this game, um, Lucas drove with like five seconds left and threw it to nobody. A Spartan had cut through the lane and he was kicking it out for three. Niels may have thought it was deflected and dove out of bounds and it looked like he might have touched it that was a yeah i remember i remember watching that at the time and just being terrified like on one hand it's like well obviously he must have touched it otherwise why would he react that way but on the other hand somehow it kind of worked out in yukon's favor anyway it was one of the silliest plays like yeah that that team again like they were even seeing them around canvas it seemed like they were a team of like funny guys and misfits at times, you know, thinking of the Texas game with Roscoe Smith um, throwing it down court with like 11 seconds left. But none of their goofiness uh, really ruined anything, obviously. And and again, Niels probably thought it was touched and he made a, a good play, a great hustle play. But, it, you know, the refs missed it and it worked out. Um, so then... Uh, there was 2.3 left. Shabazz makes one free throw. Roscoe blocks the inbounds, and then the Spartans eventually get a pass half court to Draymond Green. And they're down three, and it hits the front of the rim. So a 70 to 67 win. But again, it, it went right till the end. Um, and then Kemba Walker is yelling, and, you know, huge win over number two. And, and it was a 30 point performance for Kemba. They didn't get as many free throws, but he shot 10 of 19. And like you said, though, Oriaki was kind of the, the big star for this game as far as the 15 and 17. Yeah, man. That that shot, Draymond's shot at the end was very stressful. Not going to lie. <laughs> if he'd yeah. made that, that would have been like, it would have been pretty deflating for sure. Oh, man. Yeah, no, and like you said, it was kind of like you almost give the game away at the end of... Um, this Michigan State game, so it would have been demoralizing to go into overtime. And then, you know, seeing the emotion from Kemba Walker, we saw even more with Kentucky, but in the post-game interview, he did say it was revenge for the uh, Final Four loss to Michigan State in Detroit his freshman year in 2009. Yeah. So it, it was kind of a good thing for those young players to get such a huge win and such a resume builder, but even... For Kemba, that probably gave him a little confidence to go, you know, on a bit of a, a, a revenge tour that game with the 30 points. Oh, for sure. Well, you know what's funny? I, I'd also, I'd forgotten about how to, how uh, how interesting UConn made it down the stretch. Because, you know, you they missed five free throws in the last minute and 11 seconds. So, you know, that's not what you want. <laughs> and, <laughs> I mean, you know, obviously, you know, you have, you, J- Draymond, you know, who, who, by the way, actually was quite good in this game. So let's not get it, you know, twisted. He he had 22 points, 12 rebounds, five assists, and three blocks. So he was good, you know. But, yeah, he also missed two free throws down the stretch. And then, yeah, that turnover you mentioned was really kind of, you know, kind of did them in. So, you know, UConn's defense, like, you know, more so than the Wichita State game. I mean, just being – Michigan State had a team of men. Like, these guys were really good. And UConn just went toe-to-toe with them and kind of, you know, hung in there. And the first half, especially, like, I think there were nine ties and four lead changes throughout the first half. You know, you go in the halftime uh, tied 34-34, and I believe Shabazz hit a three right at the buzzer to uh, tie it. So this game, really, there was a lot of parallels because, you know, you have Kemba hits hits the game winner with, you know, 52 seconds left. You know, he finishes with 30, 30 points. You know, a, a lot of the same kind of beats were hit in this game, and um, you know, Oriaki, you know, the fifteen and seven against Draymond was pretty was pretty huge. You know, Niels with the hustle plays, 
Um, I think, yeah, just when I was watching this game, I definitely, it was was one of the most fun games because I I distinctly remember, you know, the Wichita State game I was watching and just being like, wow, this is, this is fun. This is exciting. I hope we win. I didn't actually think they'd beat Michigan State. So when they did, it was like, opened up a whole new world of possibilities. Like, wow, like, holy crap, this, this team is already way more fun than we were expecting. Yeah, like we mentioned um, at the top, kind of reminiscing about where we were during this tournament. Um, the big UConn games, and you know, especially for other sports at our house, uh, for Patriots or Celtics games, I like to watch at home with my mom and dad and focus. And this game, I didn't. <laughs> Colin, really... you got some issue. You got an issue going on in the background. Somebody uh, trying to pick pick up the phone. <laughs> yeah. Let me unplug it because that wasn't even. No, don't worry about it. I'm going to leave this in. That was funny. <laughs> so car- uh, carry on. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So um. So anyway, this game I watched with high school friends because I was like, all right, they'll probably lose. And by the end, you know, even our friends were like, wow, like this Husky edition of this team could end up being really good because it's you know like even though it's November. And rankings can change. Uh, it's still Michigan State is such a solid team year in and year out that when you beat them, it's big. And you know that they're going to be there at the end. You know that they're going to be one of the final four contenders. And winning that game, um, I think, not only gave them a lot of confidence for Kentucky the next day, but it was, again, we've talked about tone setters, and that's as good as it gets. So, yeah, I guess, uh, so final score of this one was 70 to 67. And, uh, yeah, I mean, you know, winning this game, you go and set up a, you know, a date with Kentucky. And, uh, one thing I think I just wanted to mention too, like, so one of the great things about beating Wichita State and then getting the opportunity to play Michigan State, you know, these early season tournaments, I mean, you know, half the reason you play them is to get a chance to test yourself against the great competition. And it wasn't really as much of an issue back then, because at least in the Big East at that time, you know, this was like one of the best Big East conferences ever in 2011. So, you know, if they had lost to Wichita State, it's not like it would have killed their tournament resume because, you know, <laughs> you, you yeah, still they had, they had you still have to go chances. through. You have the gauntlet to go through. Now, of course, in the American Athletic Conference days, like, you know, I think this past season, um, uh, I forget exactly who it was, but, you know, UConn had their early season tournament and they, they won the first game and it gave them the opportunity to play good teams. Whereas if they lost, they would have played Towson, I think. So in this case, you know, you don't have that element exactly, but just being able to test yourself against Michigan State. I mean, could you imagine what would have happened to this UConn team if they don't have the opportunity to play Michigan State and Kentucky? I mean, maybe it would have turned out the same, but they wouldn't have learned these lessons early on. And, you know, who knows, maybe maybe the Big East tournament doesn't go as well. It's funny to kind of think back as to, you know, how this this much might have this how this may have helped them so much down the road. That's a great point and uh, you know, I know we'll probably get into overall thoughts um, even more in depth later, but uh, UConn began the season ten and zero, and like you said, beating Michigan State and Kentucky, that's huge. And you know they beat Stony Brook, Vermont, and uh, uh, you know the rest of their non-conference schedule early on. Um, but you know even beginning the season with ten straight wins, that doesn't happen very much anymore for UConn. Um, you know even in the non-conference, and then. They also started seventeen and two overall, so they lose to Pitt and Notre Dame, 
but um, they have a six-game win streak beginning with Texas. And I remember they beat Tennessee in Hartford, and I said on the way back to stores, like, uh, you know, to friends, they're going to the Final Four this year. But with, like you mentioned, the tough Big East gauntlet, they ended losing 7 of 11 to finish the regular season 21 and 9. Um, and I know we'll get more in depth with this later, but winning these games in a tournament atmosphere like that, like you said, this team got the confidence when it's do or die, when it's an elimination game, they're going to play their best. And they raise that level against the best possible competition, um, you know, because Kentucky was there in Houston uh, at the Final Four with them. So these games, even though they're in November and even though they kind of had a putrid uh, little stretch to end the season, it's still the same season. It still mattered to the development of this team as individual players and overall. Absolutely. And uh, if the Michigan State game was kind of a statement, the uh, the Kentucky game was, well, it was also, it was a statement with an exclamation mark. Uh, this game was not close. UConn absolutely ran Kentucky out of the gym. And I, I'll tell you, man, I had so much fun watching this game. Um, you know, the AP story afterwards reads, the Connecticut Huskies leave Hawaii with a big, big trophy and bigger expectations. And then Kemba is quoted as saying, we wanted to show the world we're still UConn. And boy, did they! This they just this was an ass kicking of epic proportions, <laughs> and I had, it was so great. Uh, Kemba scores twenty nine, so he finishes with uh, ninety points in the three days. UConn, um, the first ten minutes of the game is like kind of kind of close and kind of interesting, and then UConn just destroys them on a twenty one to two run. They uh, to end the first half, they go into the break leading fifty to twenty nine. I mean, you know, the UConn, you know, all the fans in the Lahaina Civic Center are absolutely going nuts. I mean, that place is like a high school gym practically. So everyone's like on top of each other. You know, Kemba and the guys are like, you know, pointing to their fans, just, you know, loving it. Kentucky's just had nothing. They, you know, Terrence Jones was like the only guy from Kentucky who showed up. And yeah, the second half, very little drama. Just a, a pretty nice, relaxing, easy Thanksgiving win. All right. You know, and Thanksgiving week win. Yeah. And um, when it was all over, we're just like, damn, that that just happened. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I've been, um, you know, preparing for this. I rewatched all three games. I've been uh, rewatching Mad Men on Netflix, uh, a lot of episodes per day during this quarantine. So my eyes were kind of tired yesterday, and I was glad the second half I could just kind of coast a little bit. But, you know, to tip the ball off uh UConn, Kentucky, Calhoun, Calipari, going back to the UConn, UMass um, rivalry days, which that's one uh, basketball rivalry I'd, I'd love for them to bring back in non-conference. But the announcers, um, it was McDonough, uh, Billis, and Rafferty again. Um, and those three are the best in the business. And they even mentioned how, you know, UConn had young guys surrounding Kemba, and Calipari lost a big-time class and replaced them with five more, and then he'd replace them the next year. Um, And that sets up, you know, like just a great uh, game. And like you said, the first ten minutes were very entertaining. Kemba Walker starts it off with a tough loader in the lane. 
Um, the pace was a lot quicker. Lamb scored. Then Terrence Jones, who had a great game but got into foul trouble, which helped the Huskies. He dunked over Charles Oquandu. That was, I think, a top 10 sports center play. But UConn has a swift response. Kemba dribbling it down, lobbing it to Alex Oriaki for an alley oop. And then we get to eventually, you know, the 21 to 2 run um, in those last seven minutes, which included within that run a 13 0 run. So, uh,. There was a great backdoor pass from Shabazz to Kemba. He dribbled toward Kemba's, Kemba's man. Kemba went backdoor. It's a, an action I think UConn ran for a while um, that really worked when Kemba was off ball. Almost like they mentioned it was almost like a, a Princeton backdoor cut. Um, and UConn made a couple free throws. Vargas on Kentucky scored a hook shot to cut it um, to 37-29. And then... Niels get fired to three. Coombs McDaniels dr- drives to the basket to make it 42-29 to with 2.09 left. Kevin makes a three. Then he um, is going nuts with the crowd. Uh, you know, that moment where he's pointing at the guy and he's pointing back. Um, Kevin makes another three to make it to 19. And um, the announcers are talking about um, the Jordan rules. So... Raftery uh, is, you know, doing a decade early uh, Ode to the Last Dance documentary. And then the best thing that I loved um, was Shabazz gets a rebound or pass and throws an outlet to Kemba. And Kemba just made two straight threes. Instead of shooting another three, Kemba whips it down to Kumis McDaniels, who who makes a, a layup. So, again... Kuz McDaniel was huge throughout this tournament, but it was another great pass um, by Kemba to almost support his supporting casket. And it's a 21-2 run to end. Um, and like you said, the second half was relaxing. A lot of times in basketball, especially against Kentucky, especially against a top 10, Kentucky, you know, you're waiting for that run to come. And it never got closer than 13. 13 minutes left. Kentucky cuts it to 56-43. to 43. Shabazz Napier makes a three to get back to 16. So thankfully, that run that you're always afraid of in basketball never comes. Terrence Jones picked up his fourth foul with eight minutes left. So the Huskies got to kind of cruise to the trophy. Yeah, Terrence Jones, yeah, he had foul trouble, but he, you know, he, give credit to where credit's due. He had 24 points, and, you know, he he had, I think he scored uh, Kentucky's first 10 points of the game, too. So, you know, he showed up. Darius Miller had 15 points, but the rest of Kentucky starters, man, wow. Uh, they want to combine six for 26. Uh, the team is a whole shot, 36% from the field. And uh, Brandon Knight. Our good friend Brandon Knight, he has six <laughs> points and he goes 0 for 8 from three-point range. Um, I think people forget, but there was actually once a time when you know Brandon Knight committing to Kentucky over UConn was considered to be a major setback. And there is actually a debate that existed among real people, like who was better, Kemba or Brandon Knight? And that, that seems ludicrous in hindsight. But like, there's actually like there was like a bit of juice to this at the time. Like, so you know, it was like, oh my gosh, Kemba versus you know Knight. Let's how's it gonna go? Obviously, it was a, a first round knockout for Kemba. But man, well, tell me about Brandon Knight because I know that you've uh, 
I know that you have some thoughts on him. So let's let's hear let's hear your Brandon Knight takes. Yeah, I, I have a lot of thoughts. Um, so sophomore year, UConn makes the NIT, and they had been in the Final Four the year before, obviously. And I'm kind of panicking, like I usually do in sports and life, and thinking that Brandon Knight is the only way that UConn will get back to glory before we all graduate. And um, the main thing that I thought of was, so Brandon Knight went to Pinecrest High, High School in Florida. And um, Matt and I, as I'm sure you know, some listeners know, we're from Hamden, Connecticut. And the coach in Pinecrest was David Beckerman, who was, um, Matt and I went to Hamden High, the public school. But in Hamden, there's Hamden Hall, which is kind of a big-time basketball school. And Beckerman had coached at Hamden Hall, built up a great program. They had a lot of D1 players, and he left for Florida. And they were winning titles at Pinecrest and Fort Lauderdale and developing good players like Brandon Knight. Um, The Hamden Hall new athletic facility was actually named after David Beckerman, and he eventually moved back to Hamden Hall to coach again. But, and he, you know, at the time, I thought this Connecticut connection with Knight's, one of Knight's coaches and UConn could somehow, you know, form a bond that would get Knight to come to UConn. And, you know, Beckerman, he's still a huge name in the New Haven basketball area. A lot of people um, still talk to him. But even at the time, I would go on message boards and just see if there was any inkling of this connection that, you know, could make it that Knight becomes a Husky. And I, like some other fans, um, you know, were crushed and also wrong that it was bad for UConn that Brandon Knight ended up, you know, not coming to stores. Um, but like you said, it turned out Lamb, Jeremy Lamb was better than, you know, Kentucky's Duran Lamb. Um, these young Huskies were as good a class as you can get. Even when you look at it, four years later, Shabazz, Niels, and Tyler Olander win dual titles their freshman and senior years, you know, the only three to do that. Um, and, you know, even the other key, Shabazz Napier from Roxbury and played at Charlestown High, um, he reclassified too, I believe, to come into UConn that year. And he, along with Kemba, the junior, you know, that guard tandem ends up beating Brandon Knight twice, um, in Maui and in the final four. And in preparation of this podcast, I also, um, contacted an old anonymous source from my, uh, journalism days. Oh my gosh. You have an anonymous source. (laughs) Oh, let's go. Let's hear it. This I got to hear. Maybe if I used uh, some of my sources more, I'd still be in the journalism game. But, uh, I, I talked to this source and they were on the bus after that Kentucky win. And I couldn't, find this uh for sure on video maybe someone else a listener could do a deep dive but um this source heard from players that brandon knight didn't shake calhoun's hand in the handshake line so maybe something from recruiting happened or you know i know brandon knight wasn't a connecticut product i i know i mentioned that connection but even at the time you know Calhoun with Connecticut Connections. Some people would always get sensitive about it. Um, but anyway, the players were really PO'd and mad that Knight didn't shake Calhoun's hand. 
And this source told me that Calhoun got on the bus and, um, you know, in his always eloquent uh, language, Jim Calhoun said something to the effect of F. Knight and F. Kentucky. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my God. I really hope that's true. Um, (laughs) That's incredible. Uh, We here at Yes Yukon, obviously, uh, we we support uh, well-sourced and, uh, you know, factual, you know, reporting. But if we're going to do baseless speculation, I hope this baseless speculation is true. Just with the caveat that we don't know for sure. That could all be, you know, BS. But, man, that's like something straight out of The Last Dance. I mean, seriously, that's exactly what happened with Michael Jordan and George Carl, isn't it? Like, during the finals, like, didn't Carl <laughs> yeah. basically, like, supposedly snub Michael at a restaurant? And, you know, you know, cuts to Michael in his chairs being like, and yeah, you know, I took it personally. I mean, seriously, yeah. that's like a LeBradford Smith type of situation. Like, you don't <laughs> need to give Jim Calhoun and, you know, Kemba and these those guys any any other motivation. Not that they needed it. They had the trophy already at that point. But Yeah. No, oh, and I think it, it goes to like almost a greater theme, though. Like we've mentioned a few times, this was not classic Yukon. This was not 1999 or 04 or even, you know, 06 that disappointingly ended in the Elite Eight. Um, this was a team that we didn't know what they would be. And um, for Calhoun to have his kind of, you know, uh, Boston or Braintree toughness and the players also show their mettle. They were a Calhoun team, played tough defense, and even these three days gave them a little bit of that UConn classic swagger. So even if it's slight personal stuff, um, using that to win the Maui Invitational and beat these three good teams like Wichita State, Michigan State, Kentucky, and eventually have a 21 regular season win the Big East tournament, win the national championship, um, you know, whatever it takes and that determination, you know, um, definitely helps. Yeah, yeah. I think people need to, these type of early season experiences too, like it happened, I I believe with the 99 team, they had like a trip to Israel, I think in the preseason. And you can correct me if I'm wrong on the timeline there. But, you know, these kind of, you know, early season trips, they can do a lot to, you know, bond a team together. And there's something to be said about being able to go to Maui, which is one of the greatest places in the world. And I need to go back. I went there on my honeymoon four years ago. And actually, just a quick aside, I I was um, my honeymoon was four years ago this this week, basically. So every year at the end of May, I have like Facebook memories is constantly showing up and being like, hey, hey, remember that time you were doing something really awesome four years ago? ago and meanwhile here i am sitting in 2020 with the coronavirus pandemic and basically all of american society coming apart at the seams and i'm just like yeah that was great looking around my current surroundings and situation just being like sigh (laughs) take me back yeah Yeah, hopefully uh the listeners are safe and healthy but yeah i mean i i know you know we've been friends for over a decade mac and i know you know i uh your wife, Christine, is the best. I, I hope to, um, you know, get married and have a nice honeymoon like that someday. But even just, I want to go to Hawaii. After watching the three games, the uh, shots they would show of the beaches, um, the palm trees. And, of course, again, this is Thanksgiving. That's usually, you know, gray sky, brown leaves in New England. But 
um, yeah, it, it, it's such a cool setting for a tournament. Those like little shots of like the beach and like the opening shot of the Wichita State game when they first like start the broadcast. I, I know exactly where that picture was taken. Uh, it's a there's a black sand beach on the northwest corner of the island. And um, yeah, just like uh, the nostalgia was off the charts. But <laughs> but like, yeah, no, but for this team, but getting back to the point for this team, you know, they go out to Maui. And not only do they like basically learn all about who they are as a team and prove that they can hang with and beat good teams. I mean, you also get to spend a week on the beach. Like they, you know, I, I remember talking, you know, with like Oleander and Giffy when we, Giffy, when we were covering the team and um, you know, they, they, they talked about just like how much fun that trip was, you know, it's not like it was, I mean, obviously it was all business and they came to play, but you know, they, they got to have that Maui experience and I don't mean, you know, I don't, I can't imagine too many of those guys were, you know, getting to go to Hawaii very often beforehand or, you know, it, it was, it was a special trip for sure. And, you know, they, they got so much out of it, you know, both, uh, you know, what, what happened that week really, you know, it really set the stage for everything that came later. And, you know, I mean, you talk about memories that'll last a lifetime, you know, winning the Maui Invitational and just all the stuff that comes with it. I mean, that's it. I mean, that's, that's like one of the coolest basketball experiences you can have. Yeah, like you, you said, the, the beach and all the extra Hawaii stuff, um, I'm sure was great. And then, you know, the fun coming from winning. But even um, you saying it pays dividends later on. You know, the 2008 Celtics won the championship. And I, I remember, you know, Ray Allen, Paul Pierce, and Kevin Garnett, they had photos in Rome on the team trip um, in like October of 2007 when the season was starting. And I think even when they won the whole thing, they credited that with building camaraderie and, and you know, getting the, the team to gel together personally as well as basketball-wise. Um, and I think, too, with this team, when you're thinking about the season overall, like we kind of touched on, even though there's no Maui banner in Gamble Pavilion um, and, you know, the trophy might be, you know, in the Champion Center or where it, wherever it is, but like we talked a little bit about those, that was a tournament atmosphere. Those games counted where if you lost, you were no longer eligible to win the title. And later on in the season, I remember having a t-shirt that I think I probably lost uh, in the year since stores, but it was um, from Maui to Manhattan to March Madness. So I know the big postseason 11 and 0 run is what we remember most. But in elimination games, they were 14-0 that year. And the lessons you learn in November in those types of championship-type games can pay off later, as we saw. Absolutely. Uh, so, you know, kind of wrapping up Kentucky, you know, so uh, Kembo obviously has the big game. He has 29 points. Uh, you know, Alex Oriaki, you get 18 points, 11 rebounds. Uh, Niels Gafai, 14 points. Shabazz has 12 um, yeah, final score, 84, 67. Um, I guess, you know, we've already talked, you know, a lot about kind of these games in the rewatch, but what just, uh, anything, you know, big picture that stands out, you know, looking back on the Maui Invitational 10 years later. Yeah. Like you said, um, you know, Kemba wins MVP obviously, and he should, um, and you know, I think he was, uh, like he almost, I think either did set the record or was very close to setting the Husky record for the most points in four straight games. He almost scored 30 in all um, four straight going back to the Vermont game. But big picture, 
Alex Orianki solidified himself as the big who'd step up. Um, so again, like we mentioned, Kemba gets to a different stratosphere, um, and his teammates believe in him to carry them. But his teammates kept the ship steady when he was out with foul trouble in the Wichita State game. And then Oriaki, you know, has another double-double against Kentucky, just like Michigan State, 18-11. and 11. And he was the other Husky on the all-tournament team. Oriaki and Kemba were the two UConn players. So for him to make that all-tournament team in Maui, it sets it up where, you know, he had 11-10, and 10, I think, in the national championship against Butler. He really was just a huge... Um, I think you called him even like a, a bulldog inside in some of these big games, and and they needed that. Um, like they they couldn't just do it. You know, thirty points from Kemba does not win a game when you need to score seventy against Michigan State or you know eighty four. So that that was a great thing about this team in Maui, where um, again Alex Horiaki he was almost as young as, you know, Shabazz, Roscoe Smith, and Jeremy Lamb, the rest of that that group. So he kind of needed to step up, and he did. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so we the broadcast for this uh, this week was, I, I think, overall really good. Um, did you have any thoughts on the announcers or anything, you know, other than the annoying, you know, shots of, you know, Paradise and Maui that made you feel <laughs> like you, you were missing out on something fun? <laughs> yeah, um... I think Carter Blackburn and Jimmy Dykes, they were pretty good. Um, I kind of put them in like the tier two or tier three level of um, announcers. And then Sean McDonough, Jay Billis, and Bill Raftery are the best. Um, you know, like, the, it, it, you know it's a big game uh, when you look at replays back with that crew. And they're, you know, funny and give good uh, even basketball X's and O's out of timeouts. Um, and, you know, Dykes did a good job of that too. But yeah, it, it's also uh, one funny thing is, um, and I know we'll get into more nostalgia later, but uh, reading the bottom line is, is fun during these replays. Um, you know, during this quarantine, rewatching a lot of old UConn games, um, Vince Young was the Titans quarterback <laughs> at the time. So that kind of, you know, makes us feel like uh, it was 10 years ago, even though at times it feels like yesterday watching these games. Yeah, I know. Seriously. Um, all right. Well, I guess uh, just to wrap this up, um, you know, obviously, you know, we do this every episode. Who's the top dog? Um, I think this has a pretty obvious answer. So give me give me one more take on Kemba and uh, yeah, or, or toss in Alex Oriaki if you if you want. Yeah. So Kemba was a top dog. But like we said, Oriaki made an all tournament team. Two, two double-doubles, he was huge. Um, and I think overall, although this is another, you know, stretch just like the Big East and the NCAA tournament that it's, you know, Kemba and, you know, right... Uh, well, I guess a, a, another great podcast would be the UConn GOAT tournament debate that they had on, you know, line, um, and Kemba won that. But again, he had a good supporting cast. cast those players stepped up. Um, you know, hopefully, uh, you know, the the Kemba Walker-led Celtics, Tatum and Brown, I think are as good a supporting cast as uh, Kemba had in stores. But, yeah, I, it's just great to almost see where we watch the Madison Square Garden five games in five days and, you know, the run to the championship. Um, this team at this time, 
like we said, who knows what would happen this season. And to see them grow so much over the course of three days, I think everyone had a hand in that. Absolutely. Well, you know what, Colin? I think uh, we've I think we've done good here. So uh, thanks so much for coming on. And again, thanks so much for your patience. Uh, for the listeners at home, we hope this all sounds good because uh, trust me, we the c- computer and my microphone were fighting me every step of the way. Uh, <laughs> yeah, so I, I did want to add one quick thing. Um, obviously, during quarantine, all of us are passing the time in different ways. And one of those, I've been cleaning out my... Uh, garage and basement at my parents house going through old daily campus articles and even from my uh, uh, brief time at the Hartford Current after college and I was thinking back to the daily campus and um, you know even one of my best friends uh, in college man we met his parents worked at CUE the building um, center for undergraduate education at, at UConn and I remember going in there and they you know, we're so supportive and the staff of all ages were great, but we would talk like me and you just did now when I was like in between classes um, about, you know, articles and future story ideas and just UConn sports. And that was such a unique thing that we had at the daily campus that you could walk around campus and people could, you know, impact your articles that way. And this podcast is great to almost have that again where you know just like um you know random people uh around the campus would come up to us and talk about articles and old game and and current games now we get to talk about old games and old topics that we did 10 years ago so this is just a great podcast and i hope um everybody listens well thank you so much colin i really appreciate it it's been a lot of fun to make this up this show uh and uh you know i'm really grateful that the you know listeners have been so good uh so yeah well anyway thanks for everybody listening thanks so much um a couple things before we wrap up uh if you want to get in touch with me uh you can do so on twitter at max cerullo that's m-a-c-c-e-r-u-l-l-o uh, Colin, uh, you can find him on Twitter as well at McDtwin2. Uh, he, if you're, he, he's the biggest re- Will. Uh, excuse me, he's the biggest Bill Russell stand ever. So if you want to get into some heated yeah. debate over who's the real best basketball player of all time, you can hit him up there. Um, yeah, and I, uh, we love Bill Russell. We also talk a lot about the current Celtics. Uh, you know, like Kemba. Um, but yeah, basketball debates, just life in general, you know, Patriots, baseball and other sports. It's nice to have those debates, especially during this time. And hopefully, you know, everyone is staying healthy and safe and life and sports can return to normal. If you really want to rile them up, go on, tweet at them something to the effect of Wilt Chamberlain was better. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah, what? Who said that? It's, it's fun. <laughs> oh, man. Anyway, uh, you can e- you can email us, uh, email me as well uh, at uh, Yes, Yukon Podcast at gmail.com and uh, five star reviews. Uh, we want them and we need them. We want to get this uh, the word out about the show, and uh, that helps with uh, the uh, Apple algorithm or whatever. Uh, it helps uh, display the, the show higher up if you search for Yukon related podcasts. Uh, so, yeah, that's, a, that's about it. I uh, hope you guys are all staying safe and healthy, and we will see you all next time. Bye.